Greetings and welcome back to HM Live. As we do every month, this particular session is going to be given to leadership training. Again, the notes for the teacher are available if you'd like to just take them, download them from the website there and print them out, teach them yourself, that's fine. Uh, there's also a student handout if you'd like for me to teach the leaders in your church, then this is available as a resource to you. Um, we're having our Spanish Evangelism Ministries Conference uh, in just a few days, and I didn't want that to get biased before we spent a bit more time in talking about it. So just take a minute and watch this. Some of Ron Mulling's friends in the Western District took a number of articles that he had written and compiled them. In it, he makes uh, an observation. He says that People are a mess, and we're all people. Boy, that's kind of profound. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what your status in life, people are a mess, and we're all people. In this realm of Christian leadership, it's important to understand that, that um, some of the same office politics and some of the same things that happen in a corporate world or a business setting uh, have an inclination or have the potential of happening around the church. At the same time that I make that statement, it's important to recognize that in, in Christian leadership and really in the operation of the church, we move and we march to the beat of a different drum. And again, it is a reality that there are the times when the office politics are the experience. But uh, that's not as it should be. Christian leadership, biblical leadership, moves to the beat of a different drum. In our popular North American culture, whether it be politics or athletics or corporate America, it seems that our society does not care much about integrity, our character in those that we might label as significant people. If a fellow can throw a football far enough, if he can sing well enough, if he has enough political charisma, it doesn't matter, it doesn't seem to matter at least, how he has attained his significance. It also doesn't seem to matter to us much in this North American culture how he maintains it. It's, it's interesting, uh, the, uh, the media stars that make the headlines and how they seem to be often making those headlines. The process of fame is uh, somehow irrelevant, but I want you to hear me. Uh, C.G. Weeks, who was the district superintendent of Louisiana, had, had a way of st stating something that was significant. He'd say, hear me now, listen. And uh, I want you to hear this. That may be the way it works in popular culture. But it doesn't work that way in Christian life and in Christian culture. God is interested in how you become. And God is interested in how you sustain. Now, the vast majority of the audience for HM Live is Pentecostal. There is an inclination among we Pentecostals 
to believe that if we are passionate enough and intense enough, that our passion and our intensity will father spiritual power and influence with God and with our peers. Some would believe, some would even have us believe, that to desire power with enough intensity, with enough urgency, with enough compelling force, is to have that power. That's inaccurate. God's Word is clear. Integrity provides the matrix of power, not passion. You can be earnest about something, but if you don't have the, if you don't have the integrity, if you don't have the qualities of character that are the basis, then it doesn't matter. You're not going to have significant influence in your life. I read uh, several years ago Michael Maccabee's book on leadership, and it's a business book, but in it he writes something that is interesting. He said, the study of the Bible leads one to explore inner life, particularly the struggle to develop the human heart against ignorance, convention, injustice, disappointment, betrayal, and irrational passion. Such an education, again he's talking about the Bible, the reading of the Bible, prepares one to grapple with his fear, envy, pride, and self-deception. It raises questions, again the reading of the Bible raises questions about the nature of human destructiveness and the legitimate use of force without it, without study of the Bible. A would-be leader tends to confuse his or her own character with human nature, guts with courage, and worldly success with integrity, and the thrill of winning with happiness. Now, that's coming from a business book. That's coming from Michael Maccabee. But there is profound truth there, that the principles that are found in the Word of God are the principles of effectiveness, the principles of human character, the principles of having a godly nature. As a pastor, there would be times when, uh, when questions would come up about uh, how one should function, who we should bring into roles of leadership, and, and, and there would be times when a certain individual would get recommended as a leadership role, and, and, and time would pass, and nothing would happen. And I'm sure that in the minds of those who made the recommendation, there would be a question. What's, what's pastor doing? What's, what's going on here? Why hasn't he uh, put that person to singing in the choir? Why isn't that person in a leadership role? But there are issues of integrity. There are issues of foundational principle. And you cannot talent your way. You cannot charisma your way past them. And if you don't get them, and if you don't live them, and, and the Bible's clear on this. Uh, remember when Samuel was going to anoint Israel's second king? He looks on Eliab, the Bible says, and, and, and it's in 1 Samuel 16. He says, he looked on Eliab and, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And then suddenly God gives Samuel this incredible lesson on what matters to him. And the Lord says to Samuel, look not on his countenance. Here's the deal. God's chosen do not have to be physically attractive. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. God's chosen doesn't have to be of compelling presence because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, 
For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's interesting. When you get to the book of Acts, the sixth chapter, first conflict in the early church, there is a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows are being elected in the daily ministry. And so the twelve called the multitude of disciples to them and said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men. Not just men. Now notice what it says. These table servers are to be three things and then they're to accomplish one thing. They are to be of honest report. You say, well, anybody can wait on a table. That's not what Acts says. It says if you're going to be a table waiter, if you're going to be among the diaconate, the deacons of this church, if you're going to be in a leadership role, you have to be of honest report. What are people saying about you? What's the report coming back? Are they saying you're honest? You have to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And those are the three qualities whom we may appoint over this business. No task is too small. Nothing is too insignificant for God to be concerned with honesty. Now, uh, there's another thing I want to point out here, and this is for me as much as anybody else. Their appointment was an appointment to responsibility. They were to be over this business. Uh, they, they were to make decisions about it. They were delegated to, and they were empowered. So again, we go back. First, we talk about David being anointed and, and, and God's choice, how God looks at this. And now we come to the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, and there's this conflict. And why don't we make a quick decision and let's, let's, let's get something done to fix this problem. But the issue was here that there's something more important than just a quick fix. We want to make sure that we have men of integrity. And Jesus... He brings his disciples around him in Mark chapter 10. And he called them to him and he said to them, You know that they were at your account to rule over the Gentiles. Exercise lordship over them. And, they, and, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. Jesus is clear. This kingdom that he deals with is to have a different approach. But whosoever, and, and the word whosoever is powerful. It means that anybody hearing this, there is no plan B. There is no, but I'm excluded from what is said. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. They shall be your servant. And whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all authority. Jesus used that, that term. Authority can be given Hitler had authority. Stalin had been granted authority. Mussolini had been given authority. But there's a difference between leadership and authority. Authority can be given. The fellow who runs the prison is given authority. It doesn't make him a leader. Leadership has to be earned. Now, you, you can work with people and you can select them and designate them for a position but they can't be appointed to be a leader they will earn that privilege of people following them 
whenever a person is, is denoted, and, and this is so important, when they're denoted to, to uh, this person is now the Sunday school director, or this person is now working with youth, or this person is now helping with outreach, there is a degree of authority that comes when that person assumes a position, but that person is not yet the leader. The authority says they have the right to make some decisions. It doesn't mean they're going to make good decisions, and it doesn't mean that anybody's going to follow the decisions that are being made. There's a message here. Regardless of who you are, some of you are, are home missionaries, you're gathering a group of people together and, and your, your name is on the sign and you're pastor. Others of you are, are in various roles of leadership in, in local churches. Here's the deal. Keep on learning. Don't say, well, bless God, I'm the, I'm the pastor here now, or I'm this, or I'm that. That's, that's immaterial to the, to the deal. You may have authority to make some decisions, but is anybody following where you're leading? Keep developing yourself. Keep growing. There may have been a time when I appointed a Sunday school teacher or a Sunday school director, excuse me, for whom I, I knew more about ministering to kids than they did. But if they quickly did not reach a point of knowing more about ministering to children than what I did as senior pastor, then they were being inadequate. Same for being a youth leader or a youth pastor or a youth minister. You've got to grow. You've got to develop your own leadership. In contrast to authority, leadership is earned slowly, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And it's also very easy to lose in just a moment of outrage, in a moment of um, making a bad decision, in a moment of, of um, an ill use of a word, a moment of entering into a wrong sort of financial deal. You can lose the ability to be an influential person. So what, what's the point of all of this? Integrity is a non-negotiable. The, uh, the dictionary defines integrity as the state of being complete or unified. When, uh, when I have integrity, my words match my deeds. I am who I am. It doesn't matter where I am or who I'm with. That's integrity. It's in Paul's instruction. I think this is one of the most relevant portions of Scripture to today's leadership. It's, it's found in Paul's writing to Timothy. As a matter of fact, First and Second Timothy are manuals of leadership. If, if you are a Christian leader, you should give yourself regularly to the study of First and Second Timothy or the, or the principles. And those principles are not isolated to being effective in the first century. God's Word works whatever era of time you're in. So Paul is writing to a young preacher. One fellow said that Timothy was 28 years old when he is getting this letter. He is writing to him about the deacons, the leaders in the early church, and he talks about four different aspects. Listen, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 and we're going to read down through verse 12. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. The word double-tongued means they don't tell two different stories. Now, they're not given uh, to much wine. They're not greedy of filthy lucre. And what Paul has just wrote 
to his son in the gospel has to do with the leader's life, his behavior, his, his conduct. He is grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. This is about his beliefs. That's the second thing Paul deals with. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now, remember, that word is used, first of all, to speak of a table waiter. Now, you hear Paul write later, it says, now, if they're going to be this diaconate, if they're going to be this deacon, they first of all have to be proved being found blameless. Third issue, they are to submit to authority. And then the fourth, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. And it's interesting that the last quality to be measured has to do with the leader's family. Let's take it just a minute. The leader's life. What does Paul say a leader's life is supposed to be? He is to be grave. That doesn't mean he's to be uh, sober. doesn't mean that he's to laugh, not to laugh, excuse me. The Amplified Bible puts the word grave. He is to be worthy of respect. He is to be worthy of respect. Can he be respected? He is to be straightforward. He doesn't say two different things to two different people. He doesn't say what somebody wants to hear and then go to somebody else and contrast his story to make that other person comfortable. Thirdly, he is not obsessed with money. Fourth, he does not have divided loyalties. That's duplicity. Nor are they merely pretending because that is hypocrisy. They are whole people. They are complete. They have nothing to hide. They have nothing to fear. Their lives are an open book for anybody. Second area is their belief. They hold the mystery of faith. They believe. They believe something. And then Paul's theology takes an interesting turn. And by the way, all theology should take a practical turn just as it does here. Here's what he said. You are to hold the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. Now, I, I'm not a translator from the Greek text. My Greek is very minimal. But I've done enough reading to know that pure conscience really does not convey to the modern mind exactly what Paul was writing. It literally means for a man to see himself clearly. It's not to be perfect. It's not to be uh, without fault. But it's to know who you are, to know your strengths, to know your weaknesses, to know the areas where that you might fail. The leader's belief system. He holds the mystery of faith, but he holds it with a sense of awareness of who he is. Comfortable with who he is, knowing his strengths, knowing his weaknesses. Third that he addresses is a leader's submission. He is to be proved. He is not to be a novice. One translation talks about the leader being on probation for a period of time. Here's what I observe. Some people are not willing to submit themselves to being proven. We used to have folks that would move to town. It was, it was my principle that this is a unique church, as all churches are. Whenever you move into this city, uh, I want you to go through a portion of our, of our discipleship class. Not because you need it necessarily, but this is a unique church with unique values, unique approach to getting things done. My observation was if a person was not willing to spend the time going through the 11 classes there, if they kicked against that, it wouldn't be long before they kicked against something else that mattered a whole lot more. And so it was a point early in the process to discover their submission 
And after they went through that, we'd do the choir, the Sunday school, or some other aspect of ministry. But it was important to prove their submission. The leader's family is important. His home life is to be in order. Now, let me just talk about practical reality. You know, character and integrity are difficult to measure on the positive side. But I want you to hear me that, that there are some things that if you do them, some things that if you don't do them, they will sabotage your ability to be effective as a leader. I don't care how much talent you've got. I don't care how much passion you've got. I don't care how hard you work or how much intelligence or education you have. It will not be fixed. And there are nine things that will discredit any potential leader. First is not being doctrinally sound or not being committed to the disciplines and the standards of their church. The second is inconsistency. You can't be sky high today and snail low tomorrow. There are days when you feel this way and the next day you feel this way. But you have to be consistent in your behavior. You cannot be spiritually manic depressive. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be locked in. And it takes years of stability to earn respect. And all it takes is a few minutes of just going to some extreme that will destroy what it took years to build. Third thing that will destroy it is lack of balance. Extremism is truth gone to seed, and you can go to seed on virtually anything. The book, the Word of God, is very balanced. You can be too far out in virtually any direction. The fourth thing that will discredit a leader is disloyalty to the person who is his leader. Now, as a pastor, and this may not fit for all of you, but I get to be the one teaching today. I was relatively comfortable with our leaders coming into my office to say about anything. Uh, if they were going to be negative, I wanted them to be negative to me. If they were going to express concerns, I wanted them to express those concerns to me. Uh, that's not disloyalty. That's not being unfaithful. It simply is we're coming at life from a different perspective. At the same time, it's important for me to communicate that that loyalty goes both ways. It would be a reproach for me as a leader in God's church to ever talk about one of our saints, one of our leaders, the Sunday school director or the youth pastor, etc., to somebody else in the church when I had not talked with that person directly myself being loyalty. Not always agreeing, but being loyal. The next one that I would observe is there can be no tinge of sexual misconduct. In 20 years of pastoral ministry, I dealt with almost every uh, possibility of that refrain, I think. Uh, homosexual misconduct, uh, sexual abuse of a child, uh, which we did handle properly. Um, it, it's important to position yourself 
with proper boundaries. Folks, you can't, you can't touch in, a, in an inappropriate way and, and even in the shaking of a hand or the touching of an elbow or a greeting, there can be inappropriate touch. It's, it's what's determined between the two communicants. Touch. Compliments. I, I was never comfortable. I'm not comfortable with uh, standing in front of a lady and saying, you have such a beautiful dress on today, unless either my wife is standing beside me or that lady's husband is right there. It's easily misunderstood. Private conversations. I taught our folks that there is never an appropriate and right time for a married man and a married woman to have a phone conversation whether their spouses are excluded. Unless there is business to be transacted, unless there is something that has to be addressed, private conversations are, are, are a fertile soil for inappropriate thought and then inappropriate behavior. Email, text messages, our, our society, our culture has changed. Paul's admonition is flee youthful lust. Some things you debate, some things you discuss, but there's other things you run from. You run from it, and that's exactly, you have to know the capacity and the ability to fall exists within you. The sixth thing that will defraud you of your ability to be effective is not living sacrificially. You can't live with your feelings on the sleeve and be an effective leader. You're going to sacrifice time for training. You're going to sacrifice time for planning. You're going to sacrifice financially. And guess what? Not one of you, not one person, not one is going to get out of this without being offended. And you're going to be offended in the church. You're going to be offended by saints in the church. You're going to be offended by your peers. You have to make up your mind that you'll live sacrificially. Next is the person who fails because he doesn't manage his life for the glory of God. And how do you determine that? You determine it by the calendar and the checkbook. What are you investing your time and your money in? If people will give me 10 minutes with their checkbook and 5 minutes with their calendar, I can tell you what's most important to them. Because those are the measures. The next observation I would make that's destructive is not being teachable. Not being teachable. You've got to keep learning. You've got to keep growing. I'm 50 years old and have people ask questions real often. I want to keep growing. I don't want this to be the high point of my life. I want to keep learning. Next, I would say, is lack of fellowship. You've got to follow even as you lead. Who are you following? Who could speak into your life and say, no, that won't work, and you'd listen to them and you'd respond to them? I'm thankful for some men through the years who said, I'm concerned about that. Let's, let's rethink it. Arrogance and pride, not having a servant's heart, attitude, or actions. And you know whether you have a servant's heart. Whenever somebody treats you like a servant, how do you respond? If somebody's sitting there, they don't know how important you are, and they say, bring me a glass of water. How do you respond? Do you respond, well, bless God, they, they don't know who I am. If they knew who I was, they wouldn't... 
you have immediately defined for yourself that you don't have a servant's heart. And then lack of honor. You have to be honest to a fault, uh, particularly in Christian leadership. I, I made a decision years ago never to go into business deals with saints. I, I didn't sell them my cars. I didn't buy their cars. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't go into business deals together because it's almost impossible for it to work out right. The Bible says, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not. He's among those that fear the Lord. You've got to be honest to a fault. Now, some of you are struggling to develop leaders. Brilliance is not required for you to have an effective leadership team. It's not required. But integrity, people of integrity. On the screen, there's an important concept for understanding what it is that I'm trying to communicate and how leadership really works. What's on the screen is called the triangle of leadership. And I am drawing this from one of John Maxwell's leadership sessions. To me, it is a profound illustration. If you look closely, you see the word liberty at the bottom. And then if you look to the left side, you see the word options. On the leadership triangle, the person who visits church Sunday, you can pin them somewhere on that bottom row. They can walk in church, and as they're walking in church, they can thump out their cigarette. They may have the smell of alcohol on their breath. There may be all kinds of things, but they are a visitor. They have huge amounts of liberty. If you move up the triangle, now you see the word pastor right at the top of the triangle. He has fewer options. In reality, he has less liberty because people are not going to follow the pastor who they watch thump out a cigarette as he walks in the door or who has the smell of booze on his breath. He doesn't have that as an option. Okay, here's the lesson. As you move further up toward the top of the triangle, you have fewer options and you have more responsibility. Now, that lesson is contrary to most people's feelings, but if you're a leader in this church, you don't have the option of whether or not to be in the prayer room. If you're a leader in this church, you don't have the option of whether or not to tithe or to give to She's for Christ or Christmas for Christ to support. You don't, you, don't, you don't have an option about worship or being accountable. You don't have an option. And if you don't have an option, you have less liberty than the fellow who is visiting church for the first time. Now, that being understood, you need to teach that about once every six months to your entire church to help them to understand how leadership works. That as they get closer to the top, as, as, as they, they don't have more liberty 
They, they have increased responsibility and they have fewer options. The bottom line of all of this is that hypocrisy repels people, but integrity attracts. If my people trust me, if they believe in me, I'll get their attention. If they trust me, I'll get their action, their behavior. People will only follow. And they, they, people enjoy talent, but they will only follow character. They will only follow integrity. So how do you make, uh, how do you earn that respect? You, you do so by, by making sound decisions, by admitting mistakes when you, when you make them, and putting what's best for your followers ahead of your own agenda. Uh, some of you will have read some of Richard Baxter's writing, and he, he wrote back several centuries ago. Some ageless wisdom he offered to Christian leaders is take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues and be the greatest hindrance to the success of your own labor. You can bypass it. I wish it was just an issue of let's all get educated and might make it easier, but it doesn't work that way. Your local church, you can't bypass it. One of the, one of the 18 top reasons that church plants fail is because that the, the home missions pastor rushes people into leadership too quickly. They're not yet proven. They don't have character. They don't have integrity. It's not, it's not proven that they've bought in to, to the pastor's vision. Michelangelo is said to have painted with a brush in one hand and a shielded candle in the other to prevent his shadow from covering the masterpiece he was creating. I've got to be careful that my shadow does it somehow fall across the canvas of the Lord's work that somehow I don't get in the way and become so obsessed with the shadow of my own significance that I shade and distort the project of God's intended accomplishment. Now this is stuff we don't much like to hear sometime we at least think, but these, these are principles. These, you, you don't get past these. I'm interested in your feedback, your observations on this particular lesson. Is any of what we're offering on point? Is it helping anybody? How are you using it? And if you're not, maybe we can tweak and adjust it, make it more effective. God bless. I trust that you have a wonderful and anointed week and people receive the Holy Ghost and are baptized and that you, you start people on a path of integrity and character in their, in their Christian leadership. And if there need to be adjustments in, in your life as one who is a viewer of HM Life, take advantage of the opportunity. Every day is a new day. Tomorrow can be a new beginning. And I remind you, the greatest things happening in North America happen in home missions.